0: This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence.
1: Hello and welcome to a special Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Kate Andrews and Tony Danker, Director General of the Confederation of British Industry, also known as the CBI. Now, what is Rishi Sunak's vision for the economy? This week he tried to set this out in one of the most expansive speeches he's given, particularly if you think outside of the acute stage of the pandemic. While it's been somewhat overshadowed by the situation in Ukraine and also the fact he's been sent a police questionnaire as part of party gate luckily we have kate and tony here to guide us through it what we may have missed in
2: recent days so kate please give us an upshot of what rishi sunak wants to do So, this is really a landmark speech for anybody who gets to give it. The Mays Lecture is hailed as one of the most influential business lectures within the City of London. And I think, had it not been for the other very obvious news setting parts of the agenda, it would have gotten a lot more attention. It's one of those speeches that isn't going to be heavily covered this week for obvious reasons, but I think more and more, especially as Partygate does end up back on the front pages of newspapers eventually, and there's more speculation as to what the future of the Conservative Party looks like, this lecture is going to be called up and analyzed in future because whilst it was a technical business-oriented speech, if you peeled it back, it was really that first glimpse into a Rishi Sunak manifesto, into what the chancellor believes the economy should look like and how he'd like it to run when we're not talking about furlough and pandemics and emergency circumstances, when we're talking about a far more well-functioning economy. And I think it put him more at odds with the prime minister. And we've already seen those divides, especially Especially a party conference last year when the cabinet was going around talking about low taxes in a small state and the chancellor was the one member who just couldn't bring himself to do that, not in his speech, not in the fringe session he did, you know, it's hard to boast about low taxes when they're at a 71-year high, and instead he was talking about fiscal responsibility. And in this speech, what would normally be, say, going after a labor government or a left-wing government, a lot of what he said could apply to every political party now, including his own, talking about how states spending is a false god it's not necessarily going to generate more economic growth talking about how tax cuts he thinks don't automatically pay for themselves talking about thatcher and lawson and how yes you want to cut taxes but you have to do it in a fiscally responsible way so in many ways the speech was actually quite controversial i think especially from a political standpoint but for obvious reasons, this isn't going to be on the front pages of newspapers this week. Tony, um,
1: Rishi Sunak made the point that immediate tax cuts were irresponsible. What did you make of that? Were you hoping for a tax cut soon?
0: Well, I agree with Kate that I think this was actually a really interesting political speech. Now, politics isn't my bag, it's your bag. But there's, there seems to be a battle amongst uh, Conservatives about the legacy of Nigel Lawson. And whether or not, as Rishi puts it, you know, tax cuts always pay for themselves. And is that really the interpretation of Lawson? Or in fact, and Rishi quoted extensively from Lawson's speeches, do you have to have sound finances first before you can then afford to do tax cuts? And I think that's a debate that will go on amongst conservative circles. What I would say from a business point of view is that it may well be right that tax cuts don't pay for themselves. But on the flip side, tax rises are not without consequence. And So really, I think the big issue for the economy in the next five years, forget this year, in the next five years, are whether or not we are stuck in a trap of high tax, high spend, low growth, and how on earth we get out of that trap, because the forecasts from the OBR, even worse from the Bank of England, are that this year is going to be a good year for the economy. And then we get into pretty anemic territory in terms of growth. And if we have low growth, by the way, I don't think you bring down taxes and I don't think you bring down borrowing. I think those things get worse. So I agree with you, Kate. I think it's a pretty important speech.
1: And Kate, just listening to the answer there, I mean, that's effectively what Labour's been saying, isn't it, Richard, is that... Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson are effectively high tax low growth in their economic plan for the country. Do you think
2: there is anything in Rishi Sunak's speech to suggest that that is not the case? So I think what he was trying to do is he was setting out the areas in which he thinks that you can generate growth in the economy. He was talking a lot about education. He was talking about tax incentives to get businesses to reinvest in their companies. He's really big on capital investment. And he was talking about the future of tech and AI where he thinks there's going to be huge advancement probably in a limited period of time and that the UK is in a good situation to take advantage of that. I think Tony hits the nail on the head when he talks about you know it's a great speech from many perspectives especially if you like markets especially if you like free enterprise especially if you're an ally of business but in order to achieve even a fraction of it you cannot realistically think that the UK is going to tick along at 1.5, 1.6, maybe 2% growth and see these remarkable results. So you would need a government and one could question whether or not we have one that's ready to actually tackle the productivity puzzle, take advantage of public sector service reform, get those efficiencies, implement policy to get the economy going. I'm also quite sympathetic with Tony on, on the tax point and I mean I'm loath to argue for higher taxes i would like to live in a world where the state stayed out of our lives and our and our wallets much more but i do think you know we have to remember that we are still operating with a prime minister who wants more public spending especially in health and social care And I think it is reasonable for a chancellor any other politician to come along and say, you can have that, but you cannot borrow that. That is long-term day-to-day spending. And if you're going to make me do that, then we are going to have to finance that from somewhere. And, you know, inflation is getting quite worrying. The cost of living crisis is feeling increasingly acute. And a lot of the UK's debt is is tied to RPI. It's tied to inflation. So we're vulnerable. I don't want the tax hike, but I would personally argue that you've got to reform the policy. You can't just have the policy and, and, and not the funding to go along with it.
1: Yes, and it's interesting, Tony, what Kate's talking about there, which is perhaps friction between Boris Johnson or Ritchie Sinek, or perhaps we're going to put it more kindly, just different views, just different ways it's of looking nice, at things. nice, Katie, looking at the world um, differently. <laughs> because one of the things the Chancellor said was, you know, the government must not become a permanently bigger presence in the market and our lives. Do you get much of a sign that the government is trying to prevent that from happening?
0: Ah, no, that's a political question that gets closer to my territory. I mean, look, I think... I think Conservatives want to be low state, low regulation oriented in their policies. The truth is, if we're being honest, that Conservatives have been happy to regulate. It depends on what areas, right? You know, you can't have high fat and sugar advertising. You know, Brexit, whether we like it or not, is leading to an explosion of regulation and red tape in the short run. Let's hope that changes over time. That was the idea. And we've just had an online safety bill, which on the face of it could look more like China than it does even Europe. So look, I think a a conservative motivation to get government out of our lives, to let the private sector and as Rishi calls it, a culture of enterprise flourish is welcome. I think there's a lot of hard work if the conservatives are going to live up to that. I do think though, look, I think to Kate's point, this was a speech for productivity geeks, And I am a (laughs) self-declared productivity geek. And I really like this speech because I think Rishi's basically focused on the three big drivers of UK productivity that have been underpowered, right? Business investment, the right set of skills and innovation. And I think he's on the money on that. The question is, how do we pull them off?
1: And Kate, how did Rishi Sunak start the speech? Because we're talking about why you know this hasn't been front page news and obviously a large part of that is Ukraine, but that is going to have a big impact.
2: Yeah, so the Chancellor won't have been planning for weeks to open his speech on Ukraine, but obviously he had to yesterday, especially coming out of a COBRA meeting in the morning where ministers had had an update that overnight Russia had indeed invaded Ukraine. You know, they were, they were very sobering, very sombering words, and he reframed his speech not just about... His views of the economy and productivity, but the ability to say anything at all. And, and he described it as, you know, knowing that people would leave that speech as friends and in safety, and that's something that we take for granted. So that was a really nice way to to open his remarks. But I think it's also a reminder that the immediate crisis, the immediate economic crisis that this government's going to have to deal with, and this wasn't really tackled in, in the Chancellor's speech, is that cost of living crisis, because it was already estimated that energy bills could rise to roughly 2,000 pounds due to the crunch on supply the labor shortages coming out of COVID. There's a new study out from Investec saying that because of what's happening with Russia, this could now go up to possibly £3,000. We're talking about, at this point, money that people just simply aren't going to have. Sanctions always have an impact on those who are being sanctioned, but also those who are doing the sanctioning. And we have decided as a government that the pain that we're going to experience on behalf of standing in solidarity with Ukraine is going to be an economic one. Now, I think there will be some appetite for that amongst the public, but these costs could get really, really high in a quite short period of time. And that's something that I don't think Boris Johnson has really come out and said to the public yet in the way that actually Joe Biden in America and Olaf Scholz in Germany have been saying to their residents, and he's going to have to do that sooner rather than later.
1: Tony, what do you think about that? Do you think we're going to start to see a big impact from this?
0: Well, I, I think Kate's totally nailed it, which is, you know, we, we are looking to play our role in this war at the moment on an economic basis. And so you, you may not count the cost of that in tanks and soldiers and planes. But given that it's Russia and given where the global energy market is, we might be counting it in terms of the inflationary aspect of energy prices. That certainly will be happening to businesses right now. Energy-intensive industries are going to see massive spikes. The public's protected from it by the price cap for another six months. So in a curious kind of way, defence spending on a war like this is actually about how we may have to support customers and businesses through higher energy prices. And that's, uh, that's a pretty new one in my lifetime. And I think it's the reality of this conflict.
1: Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Kate.